Welcome to the Redeemer Church Podcast. Thank you for joining our sermon series in the book of Psalms. Psalms contains incredible truths about God and wisdom for life. Psalms helps us learn how to pray. It teaches us to worship through all the different seasons and emotions of life and how to walk with God daily. We hope these teachings help orient your life to love and worship Christ. Thanks for listening. Amen. Well, good morning. Oh, Zach's here. Uh, yeah, second service. I don't know. You guys have been up longer. That's what I don't get. I don't know. Maybe the coffee has worn off. I don't know. But, you know, uh, we're, we're going to have to work together on this this morning. We're going we're to have to get a little more, a little more interaction, a little more interaction this morning. Hey, before we get started, I do want to just thank uh, Christopher Gaston and Kellyanne Bowles and Daniel Goetz for stepping in and leading. And I'm not asking for applause, Zach, because here's the thing. They don't want, they don't want your applause, but I do want to thank them publicly. So David's out of town. And, uh, if this was your first time visiting with us this morning, you would have no idea that that was a completely 100% volunteer, uh, band leading worship there. And they've all got families and all sorts of things that they're juggling and just really appreciate the work you guys did, uh, bringing us into the throne room there. And so just wanted to thank you guys. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jordan Strebeck. I am an elder here at Redeemer. Keith Ewells and I were installed as uh, the first two lay elders at Redeemer. So we are not professional Christians. We're just pretending to be uh, them on Sunday mornings when Jason is out of town. Which brings me to my second point of good news. If this is your first time with us this morning, the good news is I'm not the regular guy. I am not the regular guy. Jason, the regular guy, the lead pastor, is out of town on sabbatical for the next five weeks. So if this is your first time with us, you can come back. And, you know, give the, give the real thing uh, a run through. Uh, my wife, Brittany, I think we've got a picture. There we go. Uh, this is my family. It's my wife, Brittany, uh, our oldest, Cooper, our seven-year-old, Boone. And then we got Hartley, who just turned six. And that is Wit, uh, the three-year-old. Our lives are busy. Uh, they're full. They're full. They're not busy. They're full. Uh, we did have six games yesterday, six sporting events, because somebody at the Midland Soccer Association thought that it would be a good idea to give a three-year-old soccer team a doubleheader. And three-year-olds love playing soccer, much less at noon. Uh, so that was fun. But it was actually a good day uh, for the Strebecks. I think we were 6-0, and although I don't think there's really any point in keeping score in uh, the youth soccer uh, world. But Wit, our three-year-old, actually scored a goal. Um, it wasn't in our goal, uh, it wasn't in our net, but it was in a net. Um, and you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, Jordan, this is just youth sports. That's pretty ridiculous for you to take any joy in that. But I'm a Texas Tech fan. So, I mean, honestly, like if I'm going to have any victory on a Saturday, it's going to come from the dinosaurs, okay? It's probably not going to come from my, from my boys uh, up in Lubbock. So, anyway, that's... It's kind of a, you know, just a sad, sad reality that we got to deal with. But uh, that kind of brings me to my, my main point that you should know about me uh, if you've never heard me preach. When I'm preaching, you're pretty much guaranteed two things. One is there's going to be a steady diet of ADD, 
All right, that's what you got. That's what you got. We're working with it. And then two, there's going to be a lot of sports analogies, a lot of, a lot of sports lingo. Okay, I speak and think in sports. That's really like the only language that I actually understand. I think Brittany, after like 14 years of marriage, is finally like, hey, I need you to go pick up. No, wait, hang on. Can we play zone defense today and you go pick up Cooper? I'm like, oh, yeah, zone defense? This makes a lot of sense. And yes, I can, I can do that. So that's, that's about the only language I understand. So if you don't speak of the sports, I do apologize in advance. But I love sports. I love, uh, I love watching sports. Um, I love coaching sports. I love watching sports movies. Uh, I don't know. Anybody else in here love a good sports movie? We got like half of you guys and then half of you that need some counseling. Um, but I love a good sports movie. Like if I, if I turn on TBS and like remember the Titans is on, like forget about it. I'm going to be there for at least an hour until we finish that epic conclusion and they win and left side, strong side and all of it. All right. And candidly, it's any sports movie. Okay. Not just remember the Titans. Like Miracle, uh, Field of Dreams. I made, a, I made a list here. Rocky, I don't know, Rocky Four at least. I don't know. Uh, Rudy. Uh, Hoosiers, Friday Night Lights, Little Giants. I mean, I don't care. I mean, Talladega Nights, I will classify that as a sports movie just to get it in the umbrella, like Happy Gilmore. It doesn't matter. I love a good sports movie. It's, you just can't, from a cinematic standpoint, you can't beat it, right? It's got, the, it's got the drama, the suspense, the team building, the fight against the odds. There's usually a good villain, you know, somebody that needs to really be put in their place. There's all that stuff. There's usually some great scores, uh, either on the sports field or the music kind. I didn't realize I wasn't trying to make a dad joke. Uh, but I always love there's the moment. There's the turning point moment. You know what I'm talking about? Like they're losing. It's like they're up against the ropes. What's going to happen? And the coach comes into the locker room and he's like, boys. And like, the, you know, the dramatic music starts to swell. You know the kind that you're like, if, if I could have that kind of music following me around when I'm giving speeches, people would think I was a baller. And like, you know, they give the speech and the team's like, yes, let us go and do this thing together and then they go do it. It's like, man, it's great. The only problem, this is my only problem with sports movies, is I don't feel like that matches my lived experience. I don't know if any of you guys played sports, but I never, I literally never remember in my entire life playing sports, did a coach like get me so hyped up to the point that we were like, yeah, let's go. And we outperformed our ability because the coach got us all, all hyped up. Now maybe y'all have better coaches than I did, but I just don't remember a single speech like that. I don't, Maybe it's just me. I don't know. But I don't remember a single speech like that. In fact, I only remember one speech from, that any coach ever gave, I think, like that I remember in detail. And so I grew up in Clovis, New Mexico, and uh, fight, Wildcats fight purple and white. And we, our big rival in basketball was Hobbs. And Hobbs was really good at basketball. We were pretty good at basketball. And... Um, you know, it was kind of a blood sport when we would play. It was Hatfields and McCoys, Yankees and Red Sox. There was no love lost. They did not like us. We did not like them. It was very tribal. And my first Clovis Hobbs game in high school, something very unusual happened. We were not winning. And uh, our varsity coach, Coach Isler, came into the JV locker room, which was very unusual. He never did this. At halftime, he came in. And I mean, he starts tearing us to pieces. I mean, he is letting it rip. I think there were a couple clipboards broken. There may have been some keys thrown. I don't remember, but it was like, it was bad. And he goes, he said, that's the worst defensive performance I've ever seen in my entire career. Absolutely terrible. And he goes, Strebeck's the only one playing defense. And I go, that's right. Well, yes, coach, I was playing defense. I'm glad that you finally noticed my efforts. 
And then he kept going. And I realized very quickly that I, that I was wrong to think for a moment that this was going to go my direction. He goes, Strebeck's the only one playing defense, and he's the least talented person in this room. I said, thanks, coach. Appreciate that. But the truth of the matter is, whether you like sports movies or not, whether you, whether you uh, speak the language of sports or not, the truth of the matter is that you probably enjoy a good hype speech. You enjoy a good pump-up jam. And what we have before us this morning in Psalm 46 is the ultimate hype speech. All right, if this doesn't get you pumped up, Redeemer, I don't know what will, but we probably ought to check your pulse. All right, so get ready because this is the song that the psalmist writes here is just a pure, unadulterated, pump it into my veins, pump up jam. All right. So what we're going to see this morning, we're going to see the might and the power and the greatness of God on complete display, okay? The central message that, that he is in control and that in spite of what turmoil we may see, in spite of pain, in spite of suffering, in spite of every type of trial or tribulation that we endure, that in the end, God wins, all right, this psalm encourages the people of God. That, that's you, that's me, us, the people of God, that we may not always feel like the scoreboard reflects it. We might not always have faith that that's where, it, where it's going, but what this psalm tells us is, hey, when the buzzer sounds, when the final whistle blows, we know who wins. Spoiler alert, it's God, all right? Um, and so in this, we can be reminded that God is our refuge, God is our strength, our help in times of need, and that every part of us, our hearts, our minds, our spirits can rest in the peace that comes with knowing that end goal, knowing that God will reign victorious. And we can believe that we will get there by his goodness and his grace. Uh, Brittany and I had a really good friend in business school who, who grew up in, in Baltimore and had always lived on the East Coast. And, uh, and he was a, con a management consultant. And so when we moved to Midland in 2014, he said, uh, hey, I'm in Dallas uh, for this consulting gig this week, and I don't have anything to do this weekend. I'm going to just come see you guys. And I was like, bro, I mean, we live in Texas, but it's not like, you know, in Maryland where it's, you know, right down the road. We're five hours away from where you're working. He's like, oh, that's, that's fine. I'll rent a car and drive out to you guys. I was like, all right, man. So text him our address and Get a call a couple hours later, and uh, I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? He's like, uh, nothing. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out, man. I'm freaking out. I was like, what are, you, what are you talking about? He goes, I'm pulled over outside uh, Weatherford. And I was like, okay. And he's like, I'm freaking out, man. Siri just told me to, to stay on I-20 for 240 miles. He's like, I never stayed on any road in my life for 240 miles, man. He's like, there's nothing out here. What are you going to do? What happens if I break down? I'm like, man, we're in Texas. You just like wave your hand. Somebody will come. They're probably a mechanic. They'll fix your car. It's good. It's fine. But he didn't have faith. He didn't have ultimate belief that he was going to get where he was going. This, this seemed like a mirage. But we can have faith in that this morning that we know the final outcome and we know we're going to get there. So before we read this, let's pray together. If you would bow your heads. Father, thank you for this scripture. Thank you for these truths that you've given us. Uh, may they be impactful to our souls this morning. Would you illuminate them? Would you make them come alive to us this morning? Would you speak through me, Holy Spirit, for our good and for your glory? Amen. 
All right, if you have your Bible with you, we're going to be turning to Psalm 46. If you don't have your Bible with you or you were about to pull out your phone or your iPad, you don't even have to. We're going to put it, we're going to put it right up here on the screen, and then you won't be tempted to check your uh, fantasy football lineup. So, uh, all right, here we go. Psalm 46, to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to the Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Salah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Salah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Man, I love this passage. I love this passage, and we're going we're gonna to break it down uh, today. So from a context standpoint, what do we know about this psalm that might be helpful? Well, I can tell you a couple things we don't know. Uh, we don't know specifically when it was written or specifically what precipitated its writing, if this was, if there was something specific going on. We don't know the exact person that wrote it, and nobody really knows what an Alamoth is. So if you have any thoughts uh, as to what that might be outside of vaguely an instrument, that's what we think uh, that might have been. But what we do know is uh, that this was written as a song, and it was written by the sons of Korah, who were uh, basically in the lineage of Moses. They were kind of, they were really, really well known for what would have been the olden day sort of like church choir ministry, all right? So we basically had like the OG Chris Tomlins over here. I don't know what their policy was on scarves, but that was the uh, like sons of Korah over here. That's who wrote this. Uh, it's helpful context, but we also know that it was intended not just to like any one individual, but for the people of God, the capital C church. You'll notice it's written in the first person plural, like we, us, are, not I, me, mine, we, us, are. And right off the bat, that ought to remind us that this is, uh, this is something that we're in together. This is a psalm for all of us, and that we have the same hope as a church, the same protective fortress that, that Abraham did, that Moses did, that David did, the God of Elijah, of Ruth, of Noah, of John the Baptist, of Naomi, of Paul, of Barnabas, of Peter. We serve that same God, and that same God is the one that's being sung about here, the same God that here we are a couple thousand years later still singing songs to the same one true 
God. I think there's this temptation for us, or maybe it's just me, when we read something like this or when we read something about the Old Testament, that it can feel academic. It can feel like it's just something you would read in a history book. Like, oh yeah, okay, this is a, this is a psalm and that's, that's all well and good. But I want to encourage you this morning to think of this as something that applies to us as the broader church today just as much as the day it was written. All right, so, so there's our context. Um, let's, let's look at how this song begins, okay? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. The author is painting quite possibly the most dramatic picture that they can. The earth giving way, mountains falling into the heart of the sea, waters roaring, mountains trembling. There's some serious turmoil going on here. And yet in the midst of it, he says what? He says that God is our refuge and strength. He's our very present help in trouble. He's our refuge, our strength. What kind of, what kind of help is he? A very present help. This is not a help you have to look real hard to find or if you blink, you'll miss it. This isn't like when you call your cable company, you want to talk to an actual person. Or when you leave church on Sunday and your wife says, hey, what sounds good? And you go, Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is the only thing that sounds good. But I cannot find that because it is Sunday. And I'm glad they're closed on Sundays. But sometimes, and if that's not you this morning, we can still be friends, but you're wrong. Um, and this is not that, okay? This is a very present help, okay? A near accessible Help. And when is he a very present help? In times of trouble. In times of trouble. It's not just that he's a very present help in good times. No, no, no. He's a very present help in trouble. When we're afraid. When we're depressed. When we're experiencing anxiety. When we've really, really messed up. When everything is going the wrong way, when oil's at negative $38, a couple of you laughed because this was the only way you could keep from crying. I appreciate that. In those times, he's our help, a very present help in trouble. The Psalms continues here with a very important word. It says, therefore, therefore, because of everything that we just read, we will not fear no matter what. Because God is our refuge, our strength, and our very present help, irrespective of what's going on around us. So then we get hit right after that with a, it says, salah. And as far as we can tell, that's a musical term that they would use. And I think basically the gist of it is it indicated that it, we were at the end of a stanza or the end of a verse. So we're going from verse to verse or bridge to chorus or, or you know, something like that. But we get hit with this salah, and then they continue on. The psalmist continues on with the same thing. They're, the picture that they're painting changes. The language that they're using changes, but the thematic remains the same. In verse 6, you see, uh, he says, The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, and God does what? He utters his voice and the earth melts. 
all of that comes to a halt. All right, and then we see this beautiful refrain, which we're going to see again at the end of the third stanza, and we're going to talk about at length a little later. So put a little, put a little note there in your mind. He says, we get this beautiful line, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The psalmist here has used basically every literary element at their disposal to paint a super bleak picture. And yes, that's the theological technical term, super bleak, okay? That is it. It is a super bleak picture. All right, we've got destruction, turmoil, uncertainty, unrest, upheaval, near certain defeat. That sound familiar? My fellow Texas Tech grads are like, yes, we watched the run defense yesterday. We did. We understand exactly what you're talking about. But for the rest of us, does that not sound like 2020? Does that not sound like 2021? Nations raging, kingdoms tottering. Man, everywhere we turn, you're going to see it, right? Division, discord, anger, strife, bad news. Everywhere is bad news. Turn on your TV, flip to any news channel. They'll, talk, they'll tell you. They'll tell you all about how the other, the other guy is real bad. Heaven forbid you open up your Facebook feed after you get done feeling like a terrible parent for not coming up with the perfect costume for the whatever thing. You'll get through some, you'll get through some hot takes, all right? Things are not going well. I actually went through... Uh, late last night, which was a terrible, terrible decision, and looked at some news sites just to be like, ah, am I right about this? I was. Uh, this is some terrible headlines. We got COVID is, you know, apparently still COVID. Um, we got power shortages in India and China. Um, apparently our country is not very unified. Go figure. Apparently there was some shenanigans going on, uh, you know, on, on Capitol Hill the last couple weeks. Apparently there's like some mass, uh, mass uh, human suffering going on in Afghanistan. I mean, literally any corner of the world you look to, there is not a lot of things that inspire hope in this day and age. Nations are raging, actual kingdoms are tottering, and yet we, you and me, We need not fear because we serve the God whose very voice makes it all melt. The Lord of hosts is with us this morning, Redeemer. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I love that line. I love that line. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now this is the, again, this is the first of two times we'll see this in this passage. And... I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I do know that if you're trying to emphasize something when you're writing, one of the ways you could do that is to, is to repeat the same thing over and over again. And so this is, serves as a, as a capstone to both the second and the third stanza. And, and I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes when I read stuff like this, I, I kind of just skip through it. I'm like, oh, Lord of hosts, God of Jacob. Okay, those are basically just synonyms for God. I got it. You know, okay, rock and roll. Let's go on to the next, let's go on to the next word. And I was commenting to James this morning, I should probably read scripture all the time as though I'm preparing to preach. Because when I started going through this, I was like, what? Let's see, God of Jacob. Like, that's interesting. Like, 
you know, there was the old Chris Tomlin song, give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, oh God of Jacob. You know, some of you guys getting some flashbacks to college there. But what does that actually mean? And so I started looking through the exegetical guide, actually looking at the old Hebrew and saying, what does this what does this actually mean? So two things jumped out to me about this name that God took for himself, God of Jacob. So this appears about two dozen times in the Old Testament. The first is this really emphasizes the covenant that God made and kept with his people. He started with Abraham, made the covenant with Abraham, continued it with Isaac, Abraham's son, and then continued it with Jacob, Abraham's grandson, and, and so on and so forth, ultimately all the way on down through the deliverance of uh, Jesus as Messiah. Uh, and, and now you and I get to take part in that covenant. We've basically been grafted into that through Jesus. So that's, that's the first thing that's, I think, instructive about that is that this is a God, basically they're saying this is our God and he keeps his promises. All right, so that's, that's the first thing. But the second thing that stood out to me is why Jacob? Why Jacob? I mean, he could be the God of anybody. Why, why Jacob? And I, I started looking at it. Have you guys ever like, actually looked at Jacob's resume? It's not a resume. It's a rap sheet, all right? Like Jacob was not, he was not like the most upstanding dude. It, it, Jacob's not the guy that we should be like, hey, just do everything Jacob did and you'll be fine. It's like he came out of the womb grabbing his brother's heel. All right, he, 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 he it, scripture says that Esau, his twin brother, was basically productive and good with his hands and worked in the fields and hunted and provided. And it says Jacob liked to dwell in the tents. He's a quiet man who dwelled in tents. He was just chilling. They didn't have air conditioning, but he liked to stay in the shade. And of course, when his brother Esau was out in the fields working, it says he, he came in uh, exhausted, and the word there for exhausted would, would not be like the way you feel when you come in from mowing the yard, but more the way you would feel if you'd just run a couple back-to-back-to-back Ironmans and were about to collapse and die at the finish line from physical exhaustion. And his brother Jacob senses he's got him over a barrel and says, hey, I'll give you a bowl of this soup if you'll give me your birthright. And Esau's like, man, I'm about to die. What good's a green chili double from Whataburger going to do me if I'm dead? Sure, like, I'll... I'll, I'll give you my inheritance. So he signs away his birthright. And Jacob's like, ah, keep going, why not? Later in life, his dad is infirm and blind and on his deathbed. And he, he says, he sends for Esau and he wants to give his oldest son his blessing before he dies. And what does Jacob do? While Esau's out hunting to bring back something to make a stew for his dad, Esau dresses up as his brother and goes in and tricks his father into giving him his older brother's blessing. Like, that's not good. That's not great. It's not going the kind of direction that I would like my kids to one day go. Cooper, Boone, please don't ever steal each other's inheritances. It might be feeble and meager, but don't steal it from one another. This guy had no productive accomplishments to speak of. Like he, he wasn't like David. He wasn't some notable warrior that led his country. He wasn't some great conquering king. He swindled his brother out of his birthright. He tricked his father into giving away his blessing. That's Jacob's resume. Now, granted, I'm oversimplifying that. There was a lot to Jacob. And, and probably the biggest thing about it was that he was faithful and he kept coming back before the Lord, even after he would mess those things up. But 
God still used Jacob. God used Jacob to establish the 12 tribes of Israel and fulfill his covenant that ultimately flowed down to you and to me. He used that guy, Jacob. Let me ask you this. Any of you guys lately swindled an elderly relative out of their blessing on their deathbed? You swapping out any signature pages on a will, a last will and testament? No? Okay. We're good. But you know what? Even if you had, even if you had, Jacob did. So even if you had, you know what the point of this is? The point of this isn't just to drag Jacob. The point of this is repent. Repent because God is eager to work through a knucklehead like you. God is eager to work through a knucklehead like me. That's right. We serve the God of knuckleheads, the God of Jacob. That's the God that we serve today. And you know why? Because he's a big God. All right, this is, this is not just hearkening back to his covenant. This is a flex. Make no mistake about it. This is a flex. All right? This is God. He doesn't, he's not just the God of ballers and perfect people. This is the God of knuckleheads and people who have rap sheets. He's the God who stands in the face of every turmoil, of every tumult, and he says all he has to do is utter his voice and the earth melts. That's the God of Jacob. That's our fortress. So think about this today. Dwell on this today. This is not a God that needs Pat Mahomes at quarterback to win the Super Bowl. Sports analogy. This is not the God who needs the dream team to win the gold medal. He'd go take any five of us and go win it today. That's the God we serve. This is a big God, and he's going to keep on showing this through this passage. Let's keep going in verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. So after all this suffering that we see, all this strife, all this chaos, we see God ultimately reign victorious. He brings an end to conflict and wars globally. And he doesn't do it by getting everybody to the negotiating table and doling out a bunch of concessions either. He comes in and he breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. He comes in by his great omnipotent might and he ends it. And that, Redeemer, is how this entire psalm ends. With God victorious. The answer to all those verses talking about everything that's gone wrong, all the chaos, all the trials, all the tribulations... It ends with Jesus winning. Can you feel that? Can you feel that? Can we grasp the gravity of that this morning? That's why I said at the beginning, this is better than the best halftime speech ever because we know what happens. And guess what? Spoiler alert. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. You will look around at the end of days and you will see this. You will see the victory of Yahweh. And you will see the desolation of those who stood opposed to him. And if that were not enough, at the end of Psalm 46, we get this nice little exclamation point. This nice little cherry on top. The point of view switches from the psalmist to the voice of God. And God says, be still. To be more accurate, he commands, be still 
and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, many of you have heard this. This is a fairly prominent psalm. As a matter of fact, some of you have probably taken a nice little graphic with like a serene stream and a chipmunk and a mountain back there and some foggy clouds and a little graphic on the top that has this verse and put it on your Instagram. You may have put it on your phone. There were a couple people I saw, a couple people in the first service be like, oh my goodness, like I have that on there right now. You know what? That's actually good. I'm glad you got it on there. But let me tell you the danger of making something very familiar and well-known. We can overlook it, just like I was talking about with God of Jacob. And I noticed that about myself. I, I don't really know what this verse is actually saying. So again, we went back to the Hebrew. What do we find? The word for be still. First of all, this is a command. Make no mistake about it. This is a command. And the word in Hebrew for be still is pronounced rafa. Rafa. And it is translated as let go, to surrender, to grow slack, to become feeble. This isn't just like, hey, take a minute and be contemplative and know that I'm God. No, this is a command to let go, to surrender. Think about what we're being commanded to do here and think of it in the context of this entire psalm. I think that's, that's, that's how we have to look at it. God is calling us to experience his victory, his greatness as the God of Jacob, as the fulfiller of promises and savior of knuckleheads. He's saying that we need not fear, we need not be anxious, we need not try a little harder or get our act together just maybe a little bit more and then we can be a part of that victory. Then we can experience the freedom that comes with knowing the outcome. No, that's not the command. The command is to let go, to release, to surrender, to become feeble. Those elements are not contained in any good halftime speech. That's where the sports analogy breaks down. This is the opposite of a good coach pump-up jam now. It is now saying, we don't need, I don't need your best efforts. I need you to let go. I need you to surrender. Why? Because he's a great and mighty God, and it was never about us and our efforts. It was about him and his work, his might, his strength, his power. And if it isn't about us and our efforts, that's amazing. And if you don't hear anything else from this sermon, hear this. That's amazing because if it's not about us and our best efforts, then it cannot be about us and our worst failures. Do you hear that? If it's not about us and our best efforts, it cannot be about us and our worst failures. It's about him. Always has been, always will be. That's why God sent his only son, Jesus, to walk among us, to live a perfect, sinless life. To fulfill that law to, and, then, and then go and die a heinous sinner's death on the cross that you and I rightfully earned so that he could rise from the grave three days later victorious over sin and death. That's what it's about. Not, not us and how good or bad we think we measure up to the standard. It's about him. And in this there can be no confusion about where 
the credit lies or where the glory goes. 100% of it goes to the God of Jacob. Keeper of promises. Savior of knuckleheads. Redeemer, I hope that this truth hits you like a one-ton truck of bricks, metaphorically speaking. I hope that it hits you as hard as it has hit me in the past couple weeks as I've been preparing to go through this, because this truth has hit me hard. It has been liberating. I don't know where this finds you this morning, but if this is you and you're, you're white-knuckled, your, 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 your engine's just humming, purring, and you're trying. You're trying real hard. Hanging on by a thread because you believe the lie that you have to earn God's favor. The flip side of that lie that Satan loves to feed us is that we can't earn God's favor. And so every time we feel like we don't, he just drops a little bit of guilt in there, just a little bit of separation. Maybe it's time for me to go open my Bible. You sure you want to do that? You hypocrite. I heard what you said to your wife yesterday, you selfish such and such. I heard the way you talk to your kids. You're a hypocrite. That's a lie. That is a lie. And that comes, it was authored straight from the great deceiver. Satan himself. I find myself there frequently, and I'm convinced in those times that I'm unworthy of God's affection, and really all I need to do is just do a little better. But you know what? God commands you and I this morning to refah, to let go, to trust in Him, to surrender to Him. Are you anxious? Are you, are you putting so much weight on your job or on your marriage or on your image, or on your grades in school, that the second any of that stuff starts to go against you, you got a lot of doubts and questions. God has a command for you this morning. Rafah. Surrender. Let go. Are you chasing what you want to chase, saying, you know what, yeah, 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 I believe that most of this stuff's true, but really... I'm going to do it my way over here. God, you can't really have this little part of my life. That's going to sow ultimately destruction in your life. And God has one command for you this morning, for me this morning. Surrender. Surrender that. Whatever season of life you're in, grief or joy, a lot or a little good or bad, the call here is the same. Lift our eyes to our good and mighty God and surrender to him. Because he will be exalted. He says it. He will be lifted. His name will be lifted high in every corner of creation. We don't have to perform some monumental task to be near to God this morning, church. We don't. All we need to do is surrender. And if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, now would be a great time to do it. Today, this morning. Don't waste any more time. 
If you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, do it right now. And if you have already trusted in him, then this morning our call is to rest in his victory, to take heart knowing that he does win. And he stands able to use someone like me or someone like you along the way. All we have to do is surrender. The call is to release, to let go. Now, that doesn't mean everything is going to work out just the way we want it. Or if, that if, you, if you like surrender to God, that magically everything is going to be amazing. No, I'm probably still going to go bald, whether I submit to God or not. All right? Whether I surrender that or not. But you know what? What it does mean is that when we surrender, when we let go, those things become less important compared to the freedom and eternal surety that comes with knowing that we serve the God of Jacob and that he's our fortress. Come what will, come what may. And if you're not sure what that looks like, that's okay. Because here's the good news. The God of Jacob is a God full of grace and patience. And he understands that we're never just going to figure this out. This is going to be something that we continually work at. And I would encourage you to work at it together with one another. If you're not already in a community group, here at Redeemer, go find somebody that looks like they work here and ask them what a community group is and join one. And if you are in a community group, call up the people in your community group and talk about this. Figure out what in your life needs to be let go of. In what areas of your life do you need to cede control to God? Pray about that. This morning we have a couple ways that we can respond. And the band's going to come up uh, right now and we're going we're gonna to sing together. But we have a couple ways we can respond. One is we can sing together and declare truths together, minister to our souls together. That way, we also have communion. We've got a couple stations around the room and these buckets. If you're a believer, we have these buckets that have uh, these, these little cups in them. And the top has a, a little wafer, like a little cracker, and the bottom has some juice in it. And over the next three songs, you're going to have time to go find one of those, grab it. And what we do is we take the wafer, and in doing so, we remember Christ's body being broken for us. And we drink that juice, and we remember his blood being shed for us and how he fulfilled that covenant, how he died that death that we deserve. So we can take communion together throughout these next three songs. At your uh, leisure, you can, you can sit, you can kneel, you can stand, you can pray. We have these prayer benches around uh, the back and outside of the gym. And we have a response team at the back. Some folks wearing some lovely neon yellow lanyards. And they're there. If you want to talk about what it means to become a Christian, they're there for that. If you just had a really terrible week and you're having a tough time right now believing that you actually serve the God of Jacob, that he is your fortress, that he, that he will deliver that sort of victory, that he can love you in spite of what you've done, you talk to them about that too. But right now, let's respond to this with our hearts this morning and let's respond to it with our lives this week. Let's examine our hearts and respond by surrendering to his goodness. Because I can promise you this, church, as the only place that we're going to find sanctification, that's the only place we're going to find holiness, that's the only place we're going to find happiness. And with that call, that command, to surrender, to release, to let go as the only place where we will find freedom. So would you stand and we're going to sing together and respond to these truths.
Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at RedeemerMidland.org.